This podcast is brought to you in part by The Best Summer of Our Lives by Rachel Hauk and Bethany House, a division of Baker Publishing Group. The Best Summer of Our Lives is available now wherever books and ebooks are sold. You're listening to the More to Life podcast. In each episode, we'll talk with authors and artists about what happened in their life, where they are now, and how they can help you, while ultimately pointing you to the author of life, Jesus. As guests share their stories, we hope that you'll discover purpose and meaning to all of the moments in your life, whether they be messy, mundane, or monumental. In other words, we hope you'll find more to life. Thanks for joining us. Summer is officially here, and we're getting you started with a podcast from one of the biggest names in inspirational fiction. Author Rachel Hauk joins us today to talk about her book, The Best Summer of Our Lives. This story, which takes place during the summer of 77, explores the topics of female friendships and reconciliation through four best friends known as the Four Seasons. These girls planned on having the best summer of their lives, but they end up at a camp in the middle of Tumbleweed, Oklahoma, where they are forced to confront some truths about themselves and each other. Rachel, who was also a teen in the 70s, tells us about the best summer of her life, how she finds her core community of friends now, and what it's like for a book to become a movie. As she says, things don't always go as expected, but those are the moments that bring us closer to God. Well, I'm Andrea. And hi, Andrea. Hi, this is Brooke. Hi. Hi, Brooke. Thanks for being a part of the More to Life podcast. Thank you for having me. So we'll go ahead and get started then with the, okay. talking a little bit about your latest book, The Best Summer of Our Lives, which I see in your background. I did. I just remembered to put it up there. I got an advanced copy. So now is that a standalone book? Yeah, it's going to be a standalone. So I like series, but I don't really read them. And I I just got to go with the ideas that hit me. So it'll be a standalone. So this one seems a little bit different, though, than the other books you've written that are more about like weddings and things like that. So can you share why it's different and what inspired the idea for the story? Yeah, I, this book is about four women. So I always said I'm never going to write a book that doesn't have a male protagonist because I really like writing the male protagonist. And but this one hit me and the idea of these four girls, these best friends who grew up from kindergarten together, they survived uh, junior high and high school and stayed intact. They call themselves the four seasons. Um, it's set in the summer of 1977. And there just wasn't room for that romantic hero, although there is a love story within the story. But um, Levi doesn't get any of his own perspective. He has to live within the perspective of the girls. But I, this idea just hit me. I think I was just going through various books and looking at various titles and thinking about what I wanted to write. And I was a teenager the summer of 1977, a little bit younger than the protagonists are. <laughs> and I just... I just thought it was something fun to write. And originally it was called the summer of 77. And of course, you know, a little play on words, wink, wink. Um, <laughs> I'll have a protagonist named summer. So this will be about her story. And then um, I just took a little break. I had done a couple of indie, independent Royal books and I was taking a little bit of break and I was walking in the evenings and praying a lot and just hanging out with the Lord. And I started thinking about, well, what's this story? What's the story? And I kind of to myself joked, well, I could have a character name autumn and spring and winter <laughs> and I thought oh no no way so winter is actually snow and her real name is Margaret Snowden but her nickname is snow so I had to do one off 
And actually, when I sent the proposal to Bethany House, they were like, well, maybe we could do April instead of spring. And I said, let me write it. And then if you guys think it's too much, then then I'll change it. But then came the moniker of the Four Seasons. And I don't know if many of you read the book, Hello, God, It's Me, Margaret. They were the, They were like four girls and they had a name for themselves. And so that book was super popular when I was young and a teenager. And so um, Hello, God, It's Me, Margaret, which I just saw the other day is going to be a movie coming this spring. And so probably some of your older viewers and listeners will know that story. And so anyway, I kind of thought that that was kind of cool. I ran across that and it gets a mention in my book, but I just really wanted to explore that friendship mm-hmm. and um, how, how you survive friendship and reconciliation and healing. And they end up being camp counselors in this little town called Tumbleweed, Oklahoma. And this, they wanted the best summer of their lives. And that's how the title got switched from the summer of 77. They're between high school and college. So they're like, we're going to have the best summer of our lives. And there's some other elements in the story that motivate that for them. So you have to read the book to find out. So, you know, they get a little full of themselves and they pull a big prank and they live in Tallahassee at the time and their friends, they go and they get all this concentrated car wash. soap from a friend of their father's who runs a car wash and they dump it into the Florida state pool. And they think they're going to have this big bubble bath. Of course, they're not in their right mind. They've been partying a little bit too much and they get caught. And so one of the fathers, Spring's father has a little bit of pull. He got him a private hearing with the judge. Summer's mother needed camp counselors for this camp. She was going to reboot out in Oklahoma. And she said, judge, I need four counselors. He said, done. So the story opens with them, not the best summer of their lives, but on a Greyhound bus to Tumbleweed, Oklahoma. And I picked Tumbleweed because it's what I wanted you to have in your mind. Tumbleweed, Oklahoma. It is on the side of a lake, but it's in the middle of nowhere. And it's just, they go out with secrets. And the pressure of the summer is going to cause those secrets to come to the surface. And then kind of as a backdrop, I don't know if you guys have heard of the Camp Scott Girl Scout murders. Um, Actually, there have been two documentaries just this spring on it. And I had never heard of it before. Hulu did a documentary on it with Kristen Chenoweth because she was supposed to go to that camp that summer that the girls were murdered. Oh, my goodness. And then Fox News Nation has recently done a docuseries on it. So I wanted kind of a a fear backdrop to kind of stir the waters, to kind of stir their tension. And so 80 miles away from their camp, and this is a true story, in June 13th, 1977, uh, somebody snuck into tent one and captured and um, raped and murdered three little girls. And so Mm -hmm. I I mentioned their names in the story as a way to kind of remember them. Mm -hmm. Um, makes me kind of tear up to think about it. And Mm so of course that impacted all of Oklahoma. Oh, Oklahoma Mm -hmm. was terrified. One camp of uh, girls going to camp went with an armed guard. And Mm -hmm. so lots of lockdown, lots of camps canceled. Of course, Camp Scott canceled and it remains to this day, a cold case. They thought they liked a guy for it, um, but he was acquitted. And so that is also just a little, little tiny thread throughout the story and how how actually the fear factor and all of us have lived through that with COVID mm-hmm. just the various unknowns around us can change the way we live our lives and often bring things to the surface that, that we didn't know were there will force us to confront some truth. So that's kind of the backdrop of the story, but it's fun. There's lots of fun stuff. Lots of laughter. <laughs> I was like, that's kind of deep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> kind of deep, right? Lots of, <laughs> lots of um, fun. And, uh, and also there's 1979 storyline. And so we kind of see them 20 years later. What are they doing now? Mm-hmm. So good tears at the end, lots of happiness in the end. So. Well, you answered one of my questions, which was the, why Oklahoma was the setting, but you explained the tumbleweed part of it. 
Yes. And for me personally, I lived in Oklahoma for three years as a kid. My oh. dad went to, my dad went to Oral Roberts in the early days when it was still mostly like being built and dirt, dirt ground everywhere where they were still building it, but it had the prayer tower. Mm. And uh, so I lived there for three years. And so Oklahoma is always kind of a sweet spot in, for me and my family. And so that's why I said it there. Mm. And the summer of 77, that was kind of chose that because it's a little more personal to you. Yeah. And I kind of like the seven, seven, I just mm -hmm. thought, you know, it kind of had a ring to it, you know, the summer of 78, eh. you know, Ellen Hildebrand had a title, uh, the summer of 69. And of course, you know, there was the Brian Adams song in 19, he had a 1969 back in 1969. So that kind of has a ring to it. And I just, mm -hmm. I kind of love that idea. And so we moved from South Florida, like the Homestead area to Tallahassee that year. So it was a year of change for me as well, going into my junior year of high school. So it just kind of felt like it had a ring to it. And then when I started putting the story together and the girls kept going, we want the best summer of our lives. I said, you know what? I think that is a broader appeal mm -hmm. because everybody kind of wants the best summer of their lives, whether you're 17 now or 77. So yeah. you remember maybe the best summer of your life or you're still waiting for it to happen. So yeah. that's how we landed on that title. What's one of your favorite summer memories then speaking of the best summer? Uh, I think my best summer, kind of, if I'm looking at my teenage years, was uh, when I turned 15, the summer that I was 15. So I had worked at Publix down in Cutler Ridge, it's now called Cutler Bay. And I dropped 25 pounds, just kind of like coming out of that, coming into my teen years. And like all of the stock boys at Publix would flirt with me and <laughs> wink at me and, you know, walk by, hey, beautiful, leave me little notes. And and so it was just kind of this really fun time. I had the mad crash on, crush on this guy named Pete, Pete Ramirez. And so it was just fun. And I had my parents were giving me a little bit more liberty. And I had a friend two years older who had a car at like a 74 Mustang. And so we were just driving all up and down US one and Cutler Ridge and Perrine area. And so we just, it was just a really, really fun time. And I had moved at the, my first year there. It was kind of a work study program. And so I was on the express lane every day, which I loathed. And so I finally was getting to work on a big register at night. And so <laughs> it was just kind of that coming of age time for me and figuring out who I am as a young woman and you know, feeling pretty and feeling like I had friends and had some liberty. So yeah, it was really super fun. <laughs> Lots of diaries on it. Yes. I was just going to say, it sounds like something I would write in my diary. That would be like the best yeah. for me too. <laughs> I actually have three of them over here that Aww. I, from 77, when we moved, I would look into it. Cause I wanted to know that I had the right voice because mm -hmm. I'm 62 now. So you want to write, you don't want to write an actual 17 year old voice. These girls are 18 in the book. You don't want to write an 18 year old expressly, but you want to tap into some of that mm -hmm. immaturity. Mm -hmm. um, but yet there's maturity at the same time. So I, I read my diaries and I'm like, I am stupid and wise within <laughs> sentences, within sentences. Yes. Yeah. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. So that's great. I know it's true. I feel like that you have some deep thoughts as a teenager, but then you, as, yeah, then you just go emotional too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I see that these four girls are really close and I'm actually leading a Bible, a young adult Bible study for women mm. called finding your people. And because we really think in the Christian community, the Christian yeah, community, that community needs to be strong, especially absolutely to our walk in faith. So do you have your people that you have like a, a close niche with? Yeah, that's a really great question for us to have. Um, we're a church of about 170. So, and I've been there for 
35 plus years. And um, my husband's been there that long. He's the senior pastor now. He's the last man standing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there's a couple of people there that have been there since I've been there. And so they're women that, that I would go to if I needed that. Um, so there's that kind of community. I feel like a lot of times it's, as you get older too, it's more of a confidence level. I may not need someone in my life every day, but I need someone who I can go to, who I can be honest with, who kick me back into play. Um, we also have um, Tuesday morning prayer. There's just such a consistency of the same people that you feel like they're your people. Mm -hmm. And so throughout my, my relationships really developed throughout people that I'm encountered in prayer meetings or in worship sets, because you kind of feel like you're on the same path and you develop that kind of connection. Of course, then the other side of that is my writing community. Um, so Susie Mae Warren is one of my best friends and we've been writing partners for over 20 years. Um, she lives down here half the time in Minnesota, half the year. So she's a definite go-to. Um, we don't talk every day anymore because our lives are busy, but if I needed her, I knew she was there. And Beth Vogt is another author. Beth Vogt is another one. And, and then within that community, we have another little community and we text every day. So that's kind of how I stay connected. Also, when you work at home and you live at home, it's kind of hard to make those water cooler moments. And so you, you have to work to find those. And so texting and, and social media is a great place for many authors because that's where we can make some of the connections. But it is important to be connected face-to-face -face as well. So. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you have to be intentional, I guess, either way, whether yeah, you're absolutely. someone in person or through over the distance, you know, not in person. Yeah. Yeah. I also have a third community. I just realized um, <laughs> I'm a Weight Watchers faithful and oh. there's, so we meet every Wednesday morning and you walk in there and it's like, Hey, it's like going to cheers. Like everybody knows you. Hey, Rachel, <laughs> hey, you know, and everybody wants to talk to you. It's a great place actually to be light. It's just a great yeah. place to be light and share little God stories in the midst of it. And then um, there's two women that I met there that are my peeps and they don't go to the meetings, but we stay in touch. We text. And then a couple of times a year, we're like, all right, that's it. And we spend a whole afternoon together. Just it, one of them has this beautiful pool set up. We'll go and just float in the pool and we'll just laugh because that's something else that happens when you get older. You just want to laugh. Like his things don't seem as silly. So you're like, somebody be silly. I need to laugh. And so <laughs> we'll get in the pool and we'll just have a great time. So yeah. So that's intentional. Like I lose a day of work to do that. So. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. I like that's that. Awesome. Yeah. That's so do you have any friends from high school that you still keep in touch with? I do not. Sadly, I have friends post high school, mm -hmm. Kathy Bailey, if you're listening, Kathy Bailey, hello. <laughs> um, and I, I have a friend that I'm a little bit connected with from elementary school, a couple of elementary school friends I'm connected with on Facebook. We connected with each other. So yeah, that has, I, that's a sad thing for me that I don't have those friends that I've locked in with for all of, you know, my life. And even I have a really good friend who was my roommate before I married Tony. And then we didn't have children and she started having children. And so of course she's going to go where she can have her mommy dates and her play dates and get involved in that community. And then, you know, they moved to a different church. And so we lost connection, but that random text will come through. And it's like, I talked to her yesterday and, and we'll, once a year we'll say like, Hey, burger, see you downtown. Let's go to the burger place. And so, um, there's that kind of relationship. So for me also being in youth ministry for 20 plus years, mm -hmm. and you see those kids come and go, I just learned that 
while it's good to be loyal and hang on to relationships, it's also good to let people go and be who God's called them to be. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I've just learned to let things go, but at the same time, not letting it go just because it was work. Mm -hmm. Also realizing, Hey, we're in different spaces in our life, but let's touch base now and then. So I feel like that's as important as digging in and making sure you have those lifelong relationships. That's cool. Yeah. I have some friends from high school that I still keep in touch with. And you're right. It's funny. We're all in different phases of life now and things yeah. are different, but then you have those other friends, like you said, where you don't talk to them for a while. And then when you do, it seems like no time has passed. I love yeah, that. That's absolutely true. So I was reading a little bit about some of the lessons in the best summer of our lives. And you had mentioned that the unexpected is often better than the expected. I was just wondering how you've maybe seen that to be true, whether personally or in the lives of the character. I just thought that was such an intriguing statement because I'm a planner. I like the expected. Yeah. I think for them, they had this whole idea. We're going to have the best summer of our lives. You know, one of them has, one of them was pretty wealthy. So they had a beach house over on St. George Island. And so it's the beach house, it's pool parties, it's shopping, you know, at Gafers, because, you know, Gafers was around in the seventies. I had to yeah. dig up all these old places in Burdines and we're going to, you know, um, you know, go down to Alligator Point, have bonfires on the beach. We're going to spend the night at each other's houses. We're going to shop for school. We're going to get ready for sorority rush because they were going to all pledge the same sorority. And, oh, and in July, we're taking a backtrack packing trip to Europe and they were set. Right. Yeah. But the unexpected happened. You know, they did something stupid. They had to pay the consequences and they ended up on this bus out to tumbleweed, Oklahoma. They'd never been camp counselors. And in fact, they'd never even been to camp. So what were they going to do? And so that unexpected brought them so much closer to who they were really meant to be. So I think a lot of times, I mean, I do, I'm a Pollyanna, where's my rose color glasses. Yeah. So I want, I like everything to be happy. I want everyone to be happy. I want everyone to get along. And then something happens that knocks you out of that comfort zone or that sphere, but it causes you to look at yourself, to look at your situation. And most of all, I think it causes you to look to God. So like, here I am, I'm out of everything that I can control. I'm out of everything that makes me feel comfortable that I like about life. I'm uncomfortable with this anxiety, depression, or, you know, getting fired or financial troubles, whatever they might be, you know, maybe a kid that's doing something you don't want them to do. And now you've got to lean on God. And so it causes you to run into him in that deeper way. So, so that unexpected actually is for your good. And so for the girls in this, in, in the story, which I think is a representation of all of our lives, they had to confront truths. They had to be honest about stuff. And, you know, at the end, it's very tough because they're very angry at each other mm -hmm. and it causes them to go on their own journey with God. And, and, and that comes through in kind of a, a different way throughout the story. I kind of use a supernatural character named the preacher to kind of represent Jesus breaking into our lives in the unexpected. So the expected is good, but the unexpected can often be God breaking in to go. I want to show you more of who I am for you. Very true. So is there a character you're talking about how they, they kind of come into their own through these unexpected situations? Is there a character that you would say that you relate to? Yeah. So Summer's kind of the main storyteller. Um, although all the girls have a point of view in both 1977 and 1997, but at the end of the book, so she ends up back in tumbleweed 20 years later and through this whole journey of her life. And she's a singer songwriter. 
and she has this gig at this place called O'Sullivan's. And as I'm writing out that into the story and I'm bringing everything back together and I'm putting it all on stage, I was like, I want to be summer. I want to gig at O'Sullivan's. I, I want to do that. That sounds so cool. So I really kind of related to her in that way. But I think there's something in each character, except for maybe Spring. That's me a little bit. Yeah. Spring's really, she's the beauty queen. And, you know, she was Miss Florida and, you know, the, the lawyer and Mary's the guy from high school. They come back together. You know, she's, she's the least like me, but, uh -huh. um, but I think all of them have a little bit of every author has a little bit in each character. Yeah. So I see that one of your books became a movie. Yes. So it, with the best summer of our lives, do you ever picture like certain celebrities being casted as, as the characters? Um, I think actually it would make a great movie uh, because of some of the dynamics that are in it. And it kind of a little bit of the sisterhood of the traveling pants kind of feel. So any kind of ensemble female cast would be awesome. But no, I don't really have anybody in mind for them. I know a lot of authors do go out and pick celebrities. And sometimes if I'm really struggling with a character, I'll just Google model female models with red hair. Yeah. And, and I just find one that I think looks most like her and, and then I'll pick that one. But I picture them so much internally. It's sometimes a little bit hard to see them externally. So I know that Summer, her name is Summer Wild. So I know she had wild blonde hair and she was kind of that Stevie Nicks hippie kind of, kind of girl. Not, and then and I knew that um, Spring was very beautiful and poised, you know, like she's walking down the runway <laughs> and Autumn is redhead and the big sister, which I very much relate to because I'm the big sister in the family I have an older brother, but I'm, you know, the girl, we tend to kind of take over everything. And so, so I understood her and she has long red hair, but she's like uber smart. And then snow is very stoical. So, so I kind of tried to make her look a little bit like snow. She's very pale, blue eyes, dark hair. So I, so to me, I just kind of like leave it loose because I also want the reader to picture who they think they are because you never want to put a physical characteristic on a character that that the reader might go, oh, mm -hmm. just hard. Unless this physical characteristic is super important to the character. I do hair and eyes, skin color, if, especially if it's um, if it's African-American character or a Latin character, I kind of want to touch into that a little bit. So, but I kind of, I want the reader to figure out who they are to them because that allows them to join the story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Be, I love there. That. be there in the page. <laughs> so what was the process of getting that book? What, which one was it? The Once Upon a Prince? All right. But how, how did you get that to become a movie? So Thomas Nelson, who was the publisher of Once Upon a Prince has, and part of their licensing, licensing arm was talking to Hollywood, talking to producers. And so there was a lovely lady named Kat Zappa. Yes, she was Frank Zappa's niece. If you all remember Frank Zappa, <laughs> the 70s rocker, um, she would fly out to Hollywood and just knock on doors. I think she had some connections. And so she talked to Mara Dunbar at Engage Entertainment, who did a couple of Denise Hunter's books as well. And they read Once Upon a Prince and said, we got to make this a movie. So I just got the phone call. Actually, I was at a I was actually at American Library Association trade show mm -hmm. and Kat came up and she was like, Rachel, I got to tell you something. And so that was like a yay moment. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how that happened. And then it was 
and everything is hurry up and wait. Like it's going to happen right now in two years. So, so they, so I got the call and I knew, I found out in 16 and then we went through kind of this 17 pro got into 17. And so it was the end of January, it was December 17th. I finally got that email. It's like, we're green lighted, we're going. And they filmed those things in like three weeks, guys. And so super fast. So then in the first of January, my husband and I are driving up to a monthly uh, worship set that I led, you know, up the road. And so I get a call from my agent and he goes, okay, they're filming in three weeks. So we're going to, what do you want to, what scene do you want to be in? And I was like, uh, the ballroom scene, I'll be in the ballroom scene. And they're like, okay. And so I flew out there like on a dime and Tony went with me. We went all the way to Victoria, BC. Uh-huh. And that was, we got caught in a traffic wreck on I-4, no, um, 528 over to the Orlando airport. We got caught in a wreck, but praise God, we were right behind it because the tr- it was stopped for 45 minutes. Yeah. So we fly to the airport, takes forever to find a parking space, get to our gate. We're there. I've pre-checked in and everything. Guys, I got yeah. my luggage. Let's go. He goes, oh, you're too late. And I'm like, no, no, no. I already checked in. He goes, you're too late for me to check your luggage. Oh my I'm like, God. no, no, yeah. no, dude. So we had a day early because we were going to tour it, you know, sightsee. Then we were going to be on set. And he goes, well, let me get you on something else. So he spends 10 minutes trying to find another flight. Can't find a thing. I'm literally praying. I said, Jesus, yeah. you got to get us on this flight. Please, Lord, please, Lord. Finally, he grabs our luggage. He goes, I'm going to get in trouble for this. And he pushed us through. But we were 45 minutes early, but that was too late. So we, I was like, thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. And so we ran through the line. We got on our flight and we made it. So because you just can't fly from here to there very easily. But you're yeah. in the movie. So we're actually in the movie. Oh, I was man. I was an extra in the ballroom scene. And um, Tony was not supposed to be in it. But the director liked him. So I had my own trailer the day I was on. So they did my hair and they put me in a costume, did my makeup. And then I was just kind of off to the side. So when you first come into the ballroom scene, there's a group of people on the, on the left-hand side of the screen, kind of clustered and talking by the stairs. You see me in the red and the blue dress. Mm -hmm. And then (laughs) Susanna and I think Nathaniel is talking to somebody else. And anyway, so then they finally got us in the scene, but when they finally saw me, the director comes over, Alex Wright, great guy. He goes, where's Tony? And I go, well, he's up in the balcony because he was told he couldn't be in it. He's like, put Tony in a tux. Here he goes off to be in a tux. And so he comes out and gets in the scene with me. And then they kind of station us all around. So when there's a scene with um, Nathaniel's talking to his mom and they're, they're kind of coming in and we're over his right shoulder, no, his left shoulder, we're over his left shoulder kind of looking at the screen and I'm looking up at Tony and I'm talking to him. Mm-hmm. So that's how you see. And then there's another scene where they're dancing and everybody's kind of standing around him mm-hmm. and it's going like this. And, and you can see us there in that setup too. It's like, Oh, there we are. Oh, there we are. <laughs> so we're in that too. So what's funny about that also is Tony would wear his reading glasses on his head. So his hair sticks up so after the scene's over and I look up and I'm like, oh man, I hope they don't get your hair. Cause it's kind of like, Whoo. Yeah. and so then the, the makeup people come through and they'll say touches. So they'll touch up, of course, the stars. And I'm kind of a jokester. And I was like, touches, we would laugh, you know? And so one of them comes walking by and she looks up at Tony and she stops and she walks back and she goes, how do we let you out here with that hair? 
I said, I know, right? So it was a pretty funny moment. But we had a great time. It was super fun to be on set. And I had just written the love letter. I was just in the final light. Like we read the galleys and that's it. Like you can make little typo corrections, but that's it. You know, you're you're done. And part of that book was a movie. So, so they were on a movie set. And so I, I thought, oh, I learned a few things. I got most of it right. But they really do say light, camera, speed, which you don't need that anymore, but they still say it. Action, you know, silent, everybody quiet. They do all of that that you see in the old movies. Or uh, We don't need speed for film anymore, but they still say that. And um, so I, I wrote my editor. I said, can I add one line? So that was that was super fun. It did really well. It was like the number one spring fling movie of that year. And then every year they do kind of a countdown. And for the two years after that, it was in the top five. And I haven't kept track of it since then. But yeah, it was super, super fun. And other other books get optioned. But again, I had two optioned, three optioned right about the time of COVID. And so I think all those options expired and probably the companies moved on. So, you know, the movie companies took a pretty big hit during yeah. COVID. So, um, so we'll see. We're still hoping the wedding dress gets picked up someday. Yeah. I can't cool. make it happen. <laughs> Come to life. Yeah. So yeah, that was very emotional. And I actually texted Denise Hunter and I said, girl, you didn't tell me I'm sitting here in this office, writing this book by myself. It was the book after the wedding dress, which we all knew was going to be a success. And I'm thinking, and now I'm writing a print story. That's so different. Is it going to be any good? Are people going to like it? And you're by yourself. Like I said, you're making this stuff up in your head. You're pulling everywhere. And then here's people taking your story and bringing it to life and then adding music to it. It just was super emotional. I was like, wow, I can't believe this. So that was a really special time. Well, is there anything else that you want listeners to know about the best summer of our lives? I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, (laughs) I really do. I think it's a great story. I think that you'll really enjoy it. And again, whether you're 77 or 17, it just inspires you to kind of live your best life and look for God in all of those moments, even the hard ones. So there's a really great story for Summer at the end where she's talking to this preacher character and he informs her that he's been with her all along. And so I just think it's a fun story where it's entertaining and fun, but at the end of the day, I think you'll feel some hope. If you would like a copy of Rachel Houck's The Best Summer of Our Lives, simply click on the link in the notes section of this podcast or stop by your local Christian bookstore today. Thanks for listening to the More to Life podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast and join us again. We would also love for you to invite a friend and write a review, which helps others find our podcast. And for more encouraging stories and testimonies from authors and artists, you can also visit our website, mtlmagazine.com, where we hope you'll find more to life.